little over a week ago, Aaron came to me and he he told me that he wanted me to to come up here and preach this morning. And then, of course, I said I would. Um, and I asked him what he wanted me to preach about because usually he's in a, a service uh, in a series or you know he has a topic that he wants covered and he said man you get to do whatever you want you know you just get to pick a topic and go at it and you know the more I started to think about that it it came with a lot of responsibility um, to come up with something that I that would be impactful and and so I really started praying that God would give me the words to say um, and and what he wanted uh, me to, to speak to you guys this morning and you know, I think that a lot of people don't understand um, when pastors say that God gives them a word um, to speak, what that exactly means or, or how that, that process takes place. And, um, and, and even as a minister, sometimes I can't explain it, um, how we land on a topic or, or a passage of scripture. But as we've gone through um, the, the, the week leading up to this and hearing that Aaron was going to start this new series on James uh, next week and then hearing uh, Teresa had texted me during the week asking if there were songs that I wanted to go with uh, my topic, I said, no, you just pick them. And then to hear what she, what she sang this morning and to talk about the, the power of the name of Jesus fit. And, and it's amazing to see how God has ordained and planned and orchestrated that, that what I'm speaking about this morning fits in perfectly with what Teresa was saying this morning and also blends in perfectly with what Aaron's going to move into in the coming weeks. And so it's just crazy when we look at this idea of how God um, ha- has this divine plan in place that sometimes we, we just don't, uh, we can't see and, and we don't uh, fully understand uh, how it all works together until we get to the end. And, and so this morning I want to I talk about a few different things, but, but I really want to jump in to, and kind of give a little bit of backstory and how I ended up where uh, we're going to talk about today. You know, it's, it's no secret uh, to anyone here that there's, there's a little bit of an issue going on in our, in our world, in our society, and in our country today with, with this uh, virus. And th- this virus has changed a lot, of, a lot of things about how we live. It changed um, how we think about where we go, what we wear, what we contact. But one of the biggest things that it's changed is our mindset. You know, I think for most of us living in this country, uh, the thought of going out in public and contracting a disease um, is really kind of a, a foreign thought, and one particularly that we attach to impoverished or, or dirty countries. I'll, I'll be honest with you guys for just a second. One of my biggest fears in life is is getting shots, and, and before anyone comes up and tries to tell me how much they don't hurt and how... Um, I, I'm a big baby uh, for not liking shots. Um, I, I'll just admit, I, I don't think it's necessarily anything about how much it hurts. It's just kind of the thought of something going into uh, my, my skin and into my body that just kind of really mentally freaks me out. But I hate getting shots. And and when I feel God calling me to go on a foreign mission trips, admittedly, one of the first things I do is I look up what, what shots or what immunizations are required to travel uh, to that country because of diseases that are prevalent and might be contracted there. And you don't usually associate um, 
you know, needing to get immunizations with going to first world countries like, like the United States is. And, and th this idea of disease uh, drastically impacting our daily lives is something we could have never really imagined. And I know many of you out there um, have been impacted in way greater ways uh, than I've experienced in my own life or in the way that I'm about to describe. And and believe me, my heart truly hurts for you if you're going through a time like this. Um, but for me in my life personally, as someone who's been called uh, by God to be a minister of the gospel, I've seen my ability to minister to people, not, not necessarily fully stripped away, but most certainly crippled. As a staff, we sit around every week uh, in our staff meetings, and we discuss how we can minister uh, in this time. And and it's it's really unlike anything we've ever experienced before, and, and is something that all of us have never had to be ministers through before. And, and I'll be honest with you guys, one of the ways, um, one of the biggest ways that I've coped with uh, this, this whole uh this whole pandemic and, and having to alter the way that we do life is meeting with uh, the students every other night to read and study God's word. And I'll be honest with you guys, this has been truly an amazing uh, time that we've been able to come together. And since we started doing this uh, back in March, we've read through first and second Thessalonians and first Corinthians. And recently we started uh, going through second Corinthians and, and it's, it's truly, truly been amazing to me to see these students grasp onto and study the word of God through this time. But, but what I don't think um, that any of these students realize is how much that time has meant to me. I, I pour my heart and my soul out uh, for these students and not getting to meet with them and disciple them regularly or in the way that I would, what I would like to um, is at times honestly consuming me more than I can bear. And these times I've been able to meet with them on Zoom and, and talk with them and, and laugh with them in some occasions have really been something that have honestly mentally gotten me through this time. I take seriously the opportunity to be up here and to speak to you today. And when I found out that Aaron wanted me to speak, I was, I was humbled and honored as always. But I felt a, a unique importance on this particular message. And so I began praying that God would reveal a word for me to share with you today. And, and as I met with the students on Zoom on Monday, uh, we were studying 2 Corinthians 3. And I really liked what we were reading and what we were discussing. And, and I would encourage you to read that passage um, at some time. It talks about uh, the, the new covenant in Jesus Christ. And I really liked what we were reading. And I, and I thought to myself that this is what I was meant to preach on Sunday morning. And, and as, we, as I began to look through this topic and kind of study it, it just wasn't clicking and it didn't feel quite right. And so I prayed again that God would reveal what word he wanted me to share. And we went into our study again in 2 Corinthians 4 on Wednesday night. And I had really told myself that I wasn't going to get too emotionally attached to uh, this passage because of what happened Monday night and kind of being a little over presumptive. And so I kind of said, we're not going to do 2 Corinthians 4. And as we read through the chapter and as we studied the text, I felt a conviction about the passage. 
And I felt an inspiration to share that word with you this morning. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 4. And, and while you're doing that, um, I, I want to share something with you. When I look back at the book of Acts and the early church, I look at what they did and I look at what we do as a church today. And honestly, it's not always as similar as I think that many of us would like. And one of the things that it says that the early church was committed to was the public reading of Scripture. And I feel that too many pastors today, and, and, and I'll admit that I'm guilty of this myself at times, they miss this key idea of church, this public reading of Scripture, and they move so quickly to the study and exegesis of Scripture that they fully skip over this idea of reading the Word of God. They fail to properly honor and read the Word of God. And so this morning, what I would like to do is I would like to publicly read this passage of 2 Corinthians 4 to you all before we begin to dissect its contents. And I would normally ask if we were in a normal setting that you stand in honor of God's word. But given the situation, I trust that, that everyone here will pause with me and read along and hold this honor for God's word in your heart. So if you'll read along with me 2 Corinthians 4 this morning. It says, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has binded the minds of unbelieving unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our bodies the death of Christ so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive and always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, if we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I read this passage, and, and 
every time I read it, I, I see more and more things in there that I want to address. And there's so much to unpack here. And so I'm going to just jump right into it and, and try to get through as much of that as possible. When we start this passage, I, I see something that I constantly tell students um, in, in ministries that I've had in the past, uh, in, in times that I've got to speak to students that weren't necessarily part of my uh, youth ministry, and the students that we currently have at this church. I, I say this all the time, and I constantly tell them that we are all ministers. And we see this in the very first line. It says, therefore, since through God's mercy, we have this ministry. You do not have to be, I constantly tell the students, you do not have to be a minister to have a ministry. That we all have a personal ministry in our lives. And given what I said about the difficulty that there has been to minister in this time, I had a moment of clarity when I read this first verse a couple days ago. Through God's mercy, we have this ministry. Ministry was never meant to just be done by your pastors. And quite frankly, if you feel like that's what you pay us for to do ministry for you, shame on you. We are called, as, as the staff of this church, we are called and we are here to do ministry to you and we are to do ministry beside you, but we are not to do ministry for you. We are called by God to be ministers, all of us together. So what does this mean for us? How can we all be ministers in our daily lives? Well, I'm glad you asked because the next five verses of this chapter lay that out nicely for us. You can look in, in verse, verses two and three, it says, we are to renounce secret and shameful ways to not use deception. And, and here's a big one that we see a lot in our society today, to not distort the word of God, but rather to set forth the truth plainly. And it breaks my heart to hear how many pastors and leaders and teachers in the church today twist scripture in an attempt to motivate an audience or to take a passage out of context to try to, to, try to conform God's word to some sort of personal idea or agenda. It's disgraceful. And we need to all have our noses so far stuck in our own Bibles that we can smell someone distorting the word of God from a mile away. Let me warn you up front, this task of ministering each and every one of us is not something to overlook the importance and the difficulty of, but we, need, we do not need to be discouraged when things don't go our way or when maybe things don't work out the way that we thought or when we're not seeing the fruits of our labor and ministry because what it says here in verse 4 where it says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the gospel. We have to remember that even though we have a God that is behind us and, and encouraging us and pressing us forward in this, in this ministry, we also have what, what is termed here the God of this age. And notice that God is not capitalized because this is not the, the God that we know as the one true God with a capital G. This is the God of worldly things that goes on here. And it's simply he is simply a tempter and a deceiver and doing everything he can to blind people from the light. And we have, while well, we do have the God, capital G, that is on our side fighting for us, we have a God lowercase g of this world that is fighting against us and trying to prevent us from doing the things that God has called us to do, to be the ministers that God has called us to be. 
And, and, when we, and when we fail to be the light of God and the servant of Jesus that this chapter calls us to be, then we, then we are playing right into the hands of the enemy and keeping those who are blinded lost and not able to see the light. But rather we should, as Paul says, we should allow the light of God that, that God made to shine in our hearts to be on display and to infect the lives of those who we come in contact with. So the next time you think that you need to share a need or a prayer request with the church staff, please do because that's actually very helpful. But also I ask that you, that you first ask yourself, what can I do to minister to them in that situation? Because... Sharing a request with the church staff is not about washing your hands of the situation because you gave it to the ministers to take care of, but rather about how that you can be the hands and feet of Jesus to the lost and dying world around you alongside those in your church who also minister. And when I talk about this idea of a personal ministry to, to students and to anyone, I, I frequently get a common response. And, and, and I have students all the time tell me when I say that you have your own personal ministry that you are responsible for. And they say, look, I, I'm not prepared or I'm not adequate to have a personal ministry. And, and to be totally honest, as a new or a young Christian uh, they don't always have to be. We don't always expect our new and young Christians to be adequately prepared to handle everything life throws at them. But as we all know, the Christian life is paved with strife. And in the same way that a ball of clay is not prepared or adequate to be a bowl, once it is put in a kiln, it becomes prepared to fulfill its role. And so as we continue to look through this chapter, we see, starting in verse 7, that we are refined by the trials of this life. So often we try to run from trials and struggles. And that makes sense because, let's face it, they're awful. And, and when, we, when we go through these trials that inevitably will come, we must remember in that moment to embrace the fire because it is what hardens the clay. And it is what refines the gold. It is more, uh, in one of the more famous passages of scripture that James writes, and I'm sure that Aaron will get to this in the coming weeks as we study James, we look in James 1 and he says, Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I don't know about you, but when I frame my trials as something that develops perseverance and that perseverance will make me mature, complete, and not lacking of anything, that is something that no matter how challenging it is, I must learn to embrace in my personal life because it makes me a better person and a better follower of God. We are all going to find ourselves at some time or another in the kiln it's up to us about whether we choose to harden and become useful for the kingdom of God or crack and become another source of blindness to keep the lost from seeing God. Verses 8 through 10 of 2 Corinthians 4 says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed, we always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Guys, we can be pressed, 
persecuted, struck down by the world, but we will never be crushed, abandoned, or destroyed because the God who has overcome the sin and the grave is always with us through our greatest trials. And we carry the power that comes with Jesus, his death on the cross, with us, so that with Jesus' dying breath upon the cross, we are now alive and equipped to pick up where he left off, doing his work and doing his ministry. God acknowledges in this passage that death is at work in us because we are simply humans who have a sinful nature. However, we, he also acknowledges that we have life also in work in us through him. So we must, what we, must we do then if we have this, this death working in us on one side and this life working in us and we're being refined and hardened and prepared for God's work through the fire, what must we do with all this chaos, all this trouble, all this strife happening around us? And it leads us to our final point of this passage, and it's that we must stay focused on God and focused on our faith. I read verse 16, and it says, Therefore do not lose heart, though outwardly we may be wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. To me, it's been really sad to see the effect that this virus has had on our society. And and honestly, I expect that from people who do not have the hope of Jesus Christ in their lives. But honestly, I've been disheartened by all the Christians, the Christians who have lost heart and who have relied on governmental decisions, quarantine and social distancing. (coughs) Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that any of that stuff is bad. We all must make common sense decisions to stay safe. But we have become a people consumed with masks, gloves, and hand sanitizer when we should be a people consumed with the power of God. And I say all this not to downplay the seriousness of this virus, but rather to highlight the power of my God. I'm taking precautions just like everyone else through this time, but let me assure you, my hope is not in any form of personal protective equipment. My hope is placed solely in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And even if his will, and even if it is his will that I contract the virus and outwardly may be wasting away, I will know that I am doing everything I can to make sure I am staying focused on his word and focused on his plan to assure that inwardly I am being renewed day by day. Because as verse 17 says, our momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that outweighs it all. So we must fix our eyes not on this world, the problems that are so readily available to us that we see every time we turn on the TV, every time we pick up our phones. We do not need to focus on the things of this world because what we see and what we deal with in this life is only fleeting and temporary. But rather we need to remain focused on what the world labels as unseen. Our faith and our hope in God and God alone Because while the pain, the turmoil, and the strife of this world are only temporary, the things of God, ministering to others, refining ourselves through these trials, and focusing on his plan, these unseen things, they store up riches for us in heaven beyond anything that we can imagine.
That's what we're called to do as Christians. We're not called to cower in fear. We're not, we're not called to be people afraid of the future or afraid of a sickness or anything. We're called to be people of the word of God. And the, that we can lean on God and we can trust him through any situation. And, and as I was reading this passage and studying it with the students, I just felt the power of God coming to me through this passage to share with you that while we, we must make these common sense decisions to keep ourselves safe, we have to remember where we place our hope and where we place our faith. And that's not in anything, <clears throat> anything that protects us from this virus other than the name of Jesus Christ. And so I look at this, this passage, and I see how it connects to, to this upcoming study of James and the trials. And I see how it, it connects with Teresa's songs and, and the power of the name of Jesus. And I just want you all to take from this today that you have more power than you can even realize in the name of Jesus. And that you don't need to be fearful. You don't need to be afraid of anything in this world because you have Jesus on your side. Would you pray with me, please? God, thank you so much for today. God, we thank you ultimately for your might, your power that you have over everything in this world. God, we know that you have power over the God of this age. And we know that you have power over all the troubles, all the strife that we go through. We know that you have power over all sickness and all death. And we pray that you would, you would infect us with your power and that you would give us your might, that we would not only not be people of fear, but that we would be people of light and that our light would be infecting to those that we come in contact with, God, that you would just empower us to minister to all those we come in contact with. God, we understand how difficult it is to stay focused on you in these troubling times, but we pray that you would harden our hearts to this world and soften them to you, that we would remain focused on you and see only your face through everything we do, God. We pray that you would continue to bless us and guide us as we go throughout our daily lives. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.